promise that Christians wouldn't have to go through struggles and wouldn't have to deal with trials. But he did promise that he'd never forget us. Got bad news last week that my dad has kidney cancer. This week we found out it's stage four. So you just never know what's going to happen in life. But I tell you what, my dad loves the Lord with all of his heart. And we know whether God heals him instantly or through the doctors or whether he doesn't get healed. He's going to get healed one day. Um, that's why we're, we're in this series on the second coming, the last days, because as Christians, this world doesn't hold much for us, right? Just people that we want to help tell the good news to. Got a call this morning from my dad. He said, he said, have you heard the story of Job? You know how a servant, you know, keeps coming saying, oh, this happened and that happened. He said, well, we found out that Grandma Lou, my dad's mom, fell in her garage last night, broke her femur, couldn't get up, and so laid there all night long, calling out, trying. Uh, finally, about 6 this morning, a neighbor heard her. Uh, she's having surgery. It's probably done by now. Uh, so, a couple lessons. If you're a fall risk, get one of those buttons that can hang around your neck or on your, or on your wrist. Um, this is not the only person I've heard of. Uh, I talked to somebody who, in this community, that sat down a, to pull some weeds or something and couldn't get back up. And for three days, they were uh, out there, but they survived by the grace of God. So life has its ups and downs, but thank you for the song because it reminds us that he has written us on the palm of his hands. And any pain that we deal with, Jesus has already felt and he wants to help us through it. Well, our sermon today is entitled, The Last Days and the Sabbath. Let's pray one more time as we get into this topic. Lord, we all have struggles. We all have pain. Um, and we're so thankful that we have you to lean on. But there are all sorts of people in our world, in our community, that don't know anything about you, or they don't know that you love them and are personally invested in their lives. Father, we want to help them to know. We want to have opportunities this week, this day, and take those opportunities to let other people know that you're good in spite of the evil that Satan is working in our world, that you are, love us and you care for us. So guide us in our study. Give us um, wisdom to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. The last days and the Sabbath. You know, as Adventists, the Seventh-day Adventist Church talks a lot about the Sabbath. We even put it in our name, Seventh-day Adventist. An Adventist is simply somebody who's looking forward to the return of Jesus, the second Advent. Uh, we're not going to be doing a Bible study on Sabbath as Saturday. That's uh, something we can do at another time, but I want to... Just ask the question, why? Why do Adventists tend to talk a lot about the Sabbath? Why is it important to us? And certainly, we, we could go through a Bible study and, and talk about the biblical basis for why we're here on a Saturday instead of a Sunday or a Friday or a Thursday. Um, obviously, those reasons are important. Uh, and obviously, it's a blessing. I mean, who... Who wouldn't be blessed by intentionally taking a day every week to spend time with God, with family, and in faith and fellowship? I mean, that's, that's a huge blessing. 
But really, um, today I want to talk to you about the Sabbath because of its end time significance. We as Adventists believe that it's not only a blessing for us in the here and now, but that the Sabbath will become increasingly important as we look to the future. Uh, we've been in this series on the last days, so if some of this seems new, it's probably because you missed some building blocks and steps along the way, but we put our sermons on the internet, uh, and uh, feel free to ask me any question that you might have. Uh, but for some, it might seem odd to think that the Sabbath is important in the last days, because for one, the word Sabbath never appears in Revelation, not once. So why would it be important in the last days? And for the typical secular person, no day is important, right? What difference does it make? Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday? Just take some time for rest, time for God. So we have some questions, and we're going to spend some time today. But before we get into that, we need to just remember where we've been a little bit. We've studied Revelation 13 and 14, and we've looked at some of the big issues, and there are kind of two big issues that keep popping up as we examine Revelation 13 and 14. And it's the issue of worship, and it's the issue of obedience. It just is a central theme as we look at these chapters that deal with the Antichrist, with the, the, the false trinity that we looked at, counterfeit trinity, two weeks ago, with Satan's agenda to get as many people to be lost as possible, and God's agenda to try and save as many people as possible. So we saw the issue of obedience. Uh, when we talked a little bit about the remnant part one, and we'll talk more in a future part two. But as a, as a bookend of chapter 13 in Revelation chapter 12, it describes the people whom Satan is going to make war with in the last days. The remnant. These end time people. And we get a couple of characteristics. The dragon, that's Satan. We saw that in Revelation 12, 7. Was enraged with a woman. We've seen that to be a symbol for the church. And he went to make the war with the rest of her offspring. In the Greek, it's loipos, the rest. Also used in other places to talk about the remnant. To make war with the rest of her offspring who do what? They keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we see very clearly the issue of obedience is important. It doesn't say they keep just nine or two or seven of God, but they keep his commandments. And by the way, God also, in the form of Jesus, said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Right? We like to talk about the Sabbath as Adventists, but we can't forget, love is the foundation for all of the commands. Amen? Amen. Verse 4, summarized by how we love God. The last six, how we love one another. If you're keeping Saturday holy, but you're not loving people, you're missing the point, right? Love is the foundation of it all. But it, it's the bookend of Revelation 13 and 14, and towards the end of this segment, as it has just talked about those who receive the mark of the beast and the punishment for those who receive the mark, Revelation 14, verse 12, it reminds us about those last day people, and it says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who do what? the commandments of God, and they have the faith of Jesus. Obedience, very important. Uh, of course, it's not for our salvation. We cannot add anything to the perfect work of Christ. But God calls us. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We observed 
in a previous presentation how Satan, particularly in the last days, is attacking the first four commandments. We saw the, the counterfeit trinity trying to attack commandment one, no other gods. Well, what are they doing? They're trying to get worship, worshiping the beast, worshiping the dragon, worshiping the image of the beast. That ties into commandment number two. God says, don't make any images or idols. What is the counterfeit trinity doing in Revelation 13? They're making the image to the beast, causing everyone to worship it. We saw commandment three, don't take God's name in vain. Well, the sea beast is just blaspheming God's name left and right, attacking this third commandment. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. False worship is being encouraged left and right in Revelation chapter 13. Clearly, Satan has an agenda, and he's trying to get at God. He's trying to get at God's people, the whole world, and he's doing it by attacking obedience. But we also saw how he's also attacking worship. But it's interesting to note that the first four commandments deal primarily with how we worship God. So he's attacking obedience, but through the lens of our worship. And we did this two weeks ago, the conflict over worship in the last days. Look at this. Revelation 13, 4, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So they worship the beast. Revelation 13, 8, all who dwell upon the earth will worship him. Revelation 13, 12, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to do what? To worship. And causes many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Revelation 13, 15, and then that call... Revelation 14, 7, calling us to worship God, fear God, and worship Him. We'll talk more about that verse in a moment. And then Revelation 14, 9, if anybody worships the beast in his image, then it talks about the consequences of that thing. And finally, in Revelation 14, 11, it says that those who receive the mark of the beast have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. Do you see that the issue of worship keeps popping up? <laughs> worship and obedience. You know, this isn't anything new. Satan has been attacking these things from the very beginning. We've talked about that rebellion that he started in heaven, spread to earth through Adam and Eve. Then with Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? Why was Cain mad at Abel? There was an issue of worship involved, wasn't it? They both brought their item to worship God with, to sacrifice. But one was what God asked for and the other was what God didn't ask for. The fruits of his labors. Um, when God asked for the sacrifice of a lamb. What about on Mount Carmel? Was there an issue of worship there with Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Clearly. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to follow? Satan's been constantly trying to attack the worship of God, and the obedience of God. In the temptations in the wilderness, Jesus himself was tempted by Satan. He just said, hey, if you bow down and worship me, breaking a commandment, and then worshiping the wrong being, I'll give you all these things. Take the easy way out, he said. But of course, praise God, Jesus did not fail. So it shouldn't surprise us that the context of Revelation 13 and 14 is dealing with worship and it's dealing with obedience to God's commandments. It shouldn't surprise us to see that the issue of the Sabbath is tied in to these things because the Sabbath is a worship command that God has given to us. But what's our motivation? Is our motivation 
for obeying and worshiping God? Is it so that we will be saved through this or through that? Earning our way to heaven through worshiping this way or keeping this command or that command? Is that our motivation? It better not be. Right? You can, you can keep all ten of God's commands and be totally 100% lost. The only way to heaven is through Jesus and His grace, His blood, His sacrifice, His substitute life, accepting what He has done for us. Never are we saved by our works. Amen? Amen. By grace, through faith, we are saved. But because we've been saved, because we've seen the love demonstrated to us, we want to follow We want to worship. We want to obey. So having said this, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation. That all comes as introduction. Now we'll get into the meat of it here. Revelation chapter 14. I put a lot of verses on the screen because we just don't have time to turn to all of them, but I want you to turn to Revelation 14, either on your phone or the Pew Bible, or uh, borrow from a neighbor. Well, Revelation 14, verse 6. Here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, we introduce and we begin the first of what we call the three angels' messages. Revelation 13 primarily describes the satanic trinity and its attack upon the world and the remnant. Revelation 14, 1 through 5, we get a little sneak preview, uh, a proleptic view, a look into the future of the saved who, who will survive all, all of these difficulties. God gives a sneak preview. But then in verse 6, we come back to um, prior to the second coming of Jesus, and we get these final messages to humanity. And you'll notice, if you just kind of look, um, past it, like verse 14 and onward, we get a scene now of the reaping of the earth, the harvest of the earth, which is a symbol of the return of Jesus. Revelation doesn't go strictly chrono- chronological. We actually have the, the return of Christ depicted multiple times throughout Revelation. But here we find some final messages for humanity contained in the three angels' messages And we start there in verse 6. And it says, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having what? The everlasting gospel. The good news that Jesus said would be preached to all nations. Matthew 24, 14. And then the end will come. This message has to go to the whole world. Gospel, Greek word, which means the good news. And it's good news. Amen? Really good news. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. This gospel, is it supposed to go only to North America? No, it's to be preached to those who dwell upon the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. Here, one of these last messages for humanity, God is calling the world to hear the good news about Jesus and his atoning sacrifice. He's calling them to a a time of solemn um, 
realization that the hour of his judgment has come, that, that he is about to come back. And that this work of judgment is ongoing. And we talked previously in our series how we don't have to fear the judgment if we have given our lives to the judge. If we've given our lives to Christ, judgment is good news for the people of God. But it calls us to fear God, respect Him, be God-fearing people in light of who our great and powerful God is. And then it calls us to worship Him. And it's interesting because it could have just said there in verse 7, and worship God. And we would have known who we're talking about. But for some reason, God giving this vision to the Apostle John decided to give it to him in a different way. And it said, worship him who did what? Who made the heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. You know, the book of Revelation is built upon images that are based in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus himself is called the Lamb in Revelation. I saw a lamb as though it were slain. Well, what was the whole system of sacrifices built on in the Old Testament. The sacrifice of the lambs. And so, as you understand the sanctuary system in the Old Testament, then you understand the symbol of Christ as a lamb much, much better. And it is filled with allusions or images from the Old Testament. And so you want to listen for the language, because a person who was familiar with the Old Testament, as they read the words of Revelation, will find phrases and images that start popping out at you. Like, like Egypt is mentioned in Revelation. And then we think about the seven last plagues, and we've talked about them previously. Where else have we seen plagues? Well, we've seen them there in Egypt. But as we get to this phrase here, and worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water, we start to go through in our mind a catalog of verses Places where that same grouping or similar grouping of words comes from. Uh, and you know what's interesting? Uh, I got this when I studied Greek in college. Uh, and if you go to seminary, any seminary, it doesn't have to be an Adventist seminary, any Christian seminary, you're going to get probably this book if you study Greek or one that's very similar to it. This was written, uh, compiled by Bruce Metzger. And he was a, one of the famous um, scholars uh, in the Christian world. He himself, I think, was Presbyterian. But what's interesting, as you look in the Greek New Testament, like your Bible, if it has some study notes, it has little footnotes. Or maybe your Bible, does it have like a center column reference? Sometimes it has little letters or numbers, and you look at it and you say, oh, this verse is related to this other verse over here. In this, Yeah, you've done that before? Yeah, you've seen that. Have you seen that in your Bible before? And then you look and you say, oh, that's where this New Testament author is quoting. They're quoting Isaiah. And it really helps you. Well, they did that in the Greek. Because uh, it's a really helpful study tool. So what you can do here is in this Bible that all churches and all different faiths use, you look at the note under, under um, verse 7 for chapter 14. And what verse is it saying it's referencing there? Exodus 20, 11. Yeah, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Well, what is Exodus 20, verse 11? Well, take a look. I, I'll save your fingers uh, a moment here. I think I have it on the screen. Exodus 20, verse 11 comes to us from the fourth commandment. 
God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your maidservant, male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates for, and here's the reason why, worship me on the seventh day. Why? Because I'm the one that made you. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, and what else? The earth, and what else? The sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So scholars who are not Adventists, they say, yeah, Revelation 14, 7, it's clearly an allusion to the fourth commandment. That language was pulled from somewhere. Where was it pulled? It was pulled from the fourth commandment, which calls us to remember God as our creator and to worship him on the Sabbath. John Pauline, a New Testament scholar, I like the way that he put it. He said this, when Revelation finally gets around to calling on people to worship the true God, it does it in the context of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath command. It's interesting. Seven times in Revelation 13 and 14, there's a reference made to worshiping false, the, the, the beast or the image of the beast or the dragon, etc. Seven times. And then one time in that passage, and it's right here, Revelation 14, 7, we're called to worship God as our creator. So why would the Sabbath be central and important? We've seen the context of worship and obedience, keeping God's commandments, and we've seen right in the very first angel's message a call to worship God as our creator. And the best way we do that is by keeping the day he set apart as a memorial for creation. But why would the Sabbath be important? I have four reasons. We could probably come up with more. But I have four reasons why I'd like to suggest to you, in the last days in particular, the Sabbath is a central and important issue. Number one, the Sabbath is important because the 144,000, those that are saved, it says that they are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And you can never go wrong when you're following after the pattern and example of Christ. And what does the pattern of Christ reveal? The pattern of Christ reveals that as it was his custom, he regularly worshipped on the seventh day Sabbath. Uh, that's the day that he kept. Uh, and we don't find, and that's, that's a whole Bible study for another day, but we don't find the scriptural references saying that a change has been made. So we say we should follow after his example. Uh, and we find it interesting that he said, remember. It's like he knew we would forget. So reason number one, because it's a part of following after the pattern and example of Jesus. But reason number two, the Sabbath is a weekly reminder that God is the one that made us. God is our creator, the author of life. And now more than ever in the world's history, people are not recognizing God as creator. They're recognizing chance and random processes as their creator. They're recognizing time as a factor in their creation. And there's nothing significant about life because life was not created. There is no meaning and purpose. We got here as really lucky accidents 
of the universe, which never had a reason to begin anyways. And so in the last days, God is calling out to the world and he's saying, I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who created you. You have purpose. You have meaning in life. And so he calls us to remember him as our creator. You know, it's been said that if the Sabbath was faithfully kept throughout centuries, we wouldn't have all of the people now ignoring God as creator because the Sabbath is a weekly reminder that God made us. He loves us and he has a good plan for our lives. It's not a day of rules and restrictions. It's a day of remembering our good God and our creator. Sabbath is important because it's following after the the example of Christ. Sabbath is important in the last days because it's a reminder to a world who's rejecting a creator. It's a reminder that God made us and preserves us. Number three, the Sabbath is an ideal way to really test whether people are willing to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. You know, the Sabbath is, is in some ways different from the other commandments. Some of the commandments, a lot of them, you can find really good selfish reasons for keeping them. Right? I don't want to go to jail. Therefore, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to be caught lying, you know, in front of Congress. Or I'm not going to uh, murder people because I don't want to go to prison. These are, they just make a lot of sense, right? Uh, and, and so you can keep those commandments in a selfish way. I'm going to honor my parents because when they die, they'll pass along a better inheritance to me if I've honored them better, right? You know, you shouldn't do these things for those motivations, but people can do that, right? Um, even the first three commandments, it just makes sense. If God is really God, then he wouldn't like you worshiping other gods and blaspheming his name, etc., etc. But when it comes to the Sabbath, there's no scientific reason like that, that makes that Saturday is like the better day for getting rest and worship than Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday. There's no astronomical reason that we can point to. There's no inherently selfish reason we can point to. I mean, because you can rest any day. And so the Sabbath is uniquely positioned for God to test the loyalty of our hearts. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. You know, in the Garden of Eden, there was nothing chemically bad about the fruit that God, that God put there on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was nothing poisonous. There was no arsenic in it. There was no way for Adam and Eve to, to put some of it in a test tube and put some of the tree life fruit and, and the fruit from that tree in a test tube and look at it and say, well, that's clearly going to kill us if we eat that. It just was God giving them an opportunity to see who had the last word in their lives. God could have told Cain and Abel that any sacrifice would do. Sure, bring whatever you want. You want to crochet me something and put it on the altar? Go for it. (laughs) Paper mache? Love it. Right? But God was specific for a reason. And Cain's sacrifice, as nice as it was, I mean, who, who doesn't like fruit and good food from the garden? 
But that's not what God asked for. Sometimes God puts things in our lives to reveal what's in our heart. You see, we're not going to be saved by keeping Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday. It's not salvation by worshiping on Saturday, right? It's salvation by grace through faith alone. But sometimes God puts things in our lives to reveal to our own hearts who has the last word. Have you really surrendered your life to me? Remember we talked about Matthew 7, that really troubling passage where people in the last days say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Lord! And God will say, I never really knew you. They thought they were doing what they were supposed to do. So the Sabbath is important because it's a way that there's not that selfish motivation for keeping it. It's just simply something we do in response to God. But I tell you what, there will be a lot of Sabbath keepers who are lost, right? Sabbath keeping is no guarantee of salvation. We should keep the commandments, but we should have Jesus as our Savior. But when God gives us a gift and a blessing, uh, we should follow and we should receive it. I like, again, the words of John Pauline. He says, in the end, at the end, the Sabbath becomes the ideal test to see if we serve God because of who he is or because of what we can get from him. When Sabbath keeping comes at the expense of job, family, or even life itself, the universe will know that God's people serve him with whole hearts. Some of you know what that's like, of being faced with losing your job or not. Some of you have had some very long, difficult journeys. But because you want to follow God to the best of your ability, because you've been saved by grace, you say, Jesus, I'll follow you and trust you, even when it's not in my best financial interest at the moment to do so. And so God, in these last days, wants to reveal the Sabbath so that people can be blessed by it, but also so that people can see what's in their own hearts, whether they're really willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, or whether they will choose their own path. And finally, number four, the Sabbath is an ideal, uh, rightly understood, it's an ideal response to the gospel. Ideal response to the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid it all for us. He lived as our substitute life, our substitute death, and he rose again and is there next to the Father as our substitute representative in heaven. And we can accept that. And there's nothing that we can add to what he's done for us. We should obey him, but my obedience does nothing to add to his perfect life. He lived it already. I can't add to it. All I can do is take away, uh, in a sense. But I can't even really do that. So because of his perfect life, uh, and because we can't add to it, all we can do is rest in it and say thank you for what you've done. Jesus lived, well, actually before that, when God created the world, He created it perfectly. It was wonderful. It was blessed. He said, it's done. It's good. And then he rested on the Sabbath day because there was nothing more to add to what he had done. When Christ was hanging there on that cross, 
He lived the perfect life. He was in the process of dying the perfect death. Before he died, he, he, he cried out, It is finished. And in death, he rested in the tomb on the Sabbath day. Nothing could be added to his perfect life, death, and soon to be resurrection. So when we keep the Sabbath, it's a reminder that we can't save ourselves. It's a reminder that we can't add to the salvation that Jesus has already given us. It's already done. It's complete. We can't add to the creation and the future recreation of the world. God's got it all taken care of. He's going to deal with it on his own. The Sabbath is also a symbol of what God has done and is doing in our hearts. Back in Ezekiel, God told the people, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who does what? Sanctifies them. The Sabbath, not only a symbol of creation, not only a symbol of redemption, but it's a symbol of recreation in our hearts. God is the one sanctifying us. It's not us building up our hearts bit by bit. It's us surrendering to the Holy Spirit and letting Jesus flow through us and sanctify us and make us new. Perhaps that's why the Apostle in Hebrews 4 said, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We strive to enter the rest because in that rest we remember that God has saved us, he created us, and he's going to recreate the world even as he's in the process of recreating our hearts. Are you thankful for what God has done for us? We have a good God who wants to give us good gifts. We're going to understand them more and more, better and better as we keep on growing in him. But today, I just want to say, yes, I want to receive this blessing, this wonderful day. And I want to help others know that God is good and he wants them to rest in him and what he has done in saving them too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's hard work to try and save ourselves, and it's an impossible work. So today, on this Sabbath day, we rest and reflect in what you've done for us. We're thankful that you're working in our lives. You're growing in our hearts. And as sinful and as frail as we might be, as we confess our sins, you forgive them, you cover us, and our record before you is perfect because of the blood of Jesus. So Father, the world needs to know how good you are. They need to know about these important truths. We pray you'll give us opportunities to let others see how good you are that they might know and accept you too. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed Sabbath rest and we will see you, Lord willing, next week or Wednesday night for our prayer service. God bless.